TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Jeff Skinner is set to meet with the media tomorrow at 1.30 p.m. after signing his eight-year extension on Friday night. We'll be carrying that for you live here on WGR. Make sure not to miss it. Elsewhere around the rumor mill, TSN's Pierre Lebrun reports Buffalo is in the market for a top-six winger via trade or free agency. Matthew Collar joined Howard and Jeremy this morning to discuss the state of the Minnesota Wild and a winger in particular who has been on Buffalo's radar. Jason Zucker, first of all, Paul Fenton has not been a fan of his, and it seems like he has been out to trade Jason Zucker since the moment he got here, along with everyone else. There's another part of it, too, which is Jason Zucker had his best year in a contract year, so the Wild were in a position where they just really had to pay him more than he was probably worth for the rest of his career. And I think last year he went back to the mean that he regressed and scored just over 20 goals. And that's kind of more who I think Jason Zucker really is. You can hear more from Collar on demand at WGR550.com or on the radio.com app. NBA Finals, it's the first chance for the Raptors to close out their first ever championship tonight, taking a 3-1 to series edge into Game 5 at home. Golden State keeps getting healthier, though. Multiple league sources have told Warriors insider Monte Poole that Kevin Durant is expected to be a full go for this evening's contest. Tip-off is set for 9 o'clock, and you can listen to the action on ESPN 1520. Elsewhere around the NBA, longtime San Antonio Spur Tony Parker announced his retirement from the league, and sources tell The Athletic that Pelican star Anthony Davis would prefer to be traded to the Lakers or the New York Knicks. And in football, a couple of standout defenders are not attending their team's mini-camps. Adam Schefter reports Texans pass rusher Jadavian Clowney is sitting out in search of a long-term contract. Same goes for Jaguars defensive end Yannick Ngakwe, who's recorded at least eight sacks in all three of his seasons in the NFL. Canalside's biggest concert of the summer, Kerfuffle, is now a week from Friday with Walk the Moon, The Head and the Heart, and Catfish and the Bottlemen headlining the lineup. Tickets are available at AlternativeBuffalo.com. For WGR, I'm Kyle Pound. Next update at 8 o'clock. A reminder that it's easy to listen to WGR anytime or anywhere. Just ask your smart speaker to play WGR 550. Nightcap. Yo, this is Patrick. Is this the Nightcap? No, this is Patrick. Is this the Nightcap? No, this is Patrick. Time now for the Nightcap on WGR Sports Radio 550.
last I spoke to you, let's see, it was Friday night. A little bit later than the normal scheduled show. We went to about 10. Jeff Skinner news broke. I missed it by like 10 minutes. You know, I was on the air here. My show is 7 to 9. It's Jody Biasi, by the way, here in the nightcap. Friday night happens. And it's like 8.50. I'm planning to do a segment to close out the show on like what the top six could look like if disaster strikes and Jeff Skinner is not a part of the Buffalo Sabres going forward. Then the Bob McKenzie tweet that says that things are getting close. So I'm like, all right, things are getting close. That sounds good. Looks like things are going to happen. Sticking around. So I stayed past 9 o'clock, talked to our own Paul Hamilton, stayed a little longer. Then, you know, an hour went by and we didn't really have anything else. So I'm like, all right, what am I going to do? It's 10 o'clock. He might be about to sign, but if he doesn't, like, I got a casino to get to. So I went to a casino for the first time on Friday. Did not do, uh, did not do so hot. Uh, I found myself at the blackjack table a little bit longer than I probably should have been there. Not too long, but was there. Did pretty well in the penny slots. Made up some ground on that end. So it was a fun experience. Didn't lose too much. Love that. And Skinner signed, so I leave at about 10 o'clock and then... 10, 15 minutes later, because I'm not checking my phone when I'm driving, like a good like a good person. Um, or, you know, like a careful driver, I should say. And we'll talk about driving in a little bit. Then I get home and I see Skinner signed. All right, well, I'm too far away now to come back. Uh, it's official. We kind of already talked like it was going to happen anyway, so I'm just going to go to the casino. But it was 10 minutes away from... Uh, from just me just missing the boat on Skinner uh, signing while I was here. And I've been uh, pretty happy with the number. Eight years, 72 million. Like, I'm pretty content with that. I think most Sabre fans are content with that. Anything higher, I think we might have started to see some sort of debate uh, amongst the fans. Like, oh, he's getting paid too much. Like, they had to pay him this much to keep him. Nine is overpaying, yes, but it's also fair. Um, I think if you were going to extend yourself to 9.25, 9.5, then we're talking about getting a little ridiculous for what the, what he is as a player. Because, you know, at the end of the day, love Skinner. Glad he's here for eight years. But one of the comparable uh, wingers that was just paid is Mark Stone. $9.5 million for him in Vegas. And Jeff Skinner's a great player, but he's not Mark Stone. And if he would have gotten 9.5, I thought that would have really showed how desperate the Sabres were. But they got him at $9 million. We're talking about Skinner more tonight. Uh, we'll hear from Jason Bottrell. Uh, Chernobyl, a great show that's going on right now on HBO. I want to talk a little bit about that. If you haven't seen it, you definitely should. It's great. I'm not through it yet, but uh, so far, so good. Madison Bumgarner is just grinding my gears right now. Just... Ugh, epitomizing old man baseball, which is one of my least favorite things in sports, is the unwritten rules of baseball. We will get into that later on. And I saw an interesting article on Josh Allen that was released over the weekend. We'll touch on that uh, as well. So lots of stuff coming up. Um, you can tweet at me at SneakyJoeWGR on Twitter or uh, on the text line 550-550. So I mentioned it, 8 years, 9 million. I think it's pretty fair uh, for Skinner. Um, I, you just had to do it. You had to do it. Never again in Jack Eichel's big contract that I think kicks in this year. 
or was it last year? Last year was year one. Never again are you going to have to worry about the talent level on his wings. Or at least one of them. Never again is he going to have to play in a line with Zemgis Giergensen and Benoit Pouliot. I will never forget that that happened. And it happened for a pretty extended period of time. Never again are you going to have to wonder about, hey, is Marcus Foligno a good enough winger to play with Jack Eichel? He's got Skinner. Reinhardt is there. I tend to like the idea when you're not as deep in the rest of your forward group of separating Reinhardt from Michael. We'll talk a little bit about Reinhardt in a little bit specifically. But you don't have to worry about any more Jack Eichel's partner on his wing. You have enough other stuff to worry about. You didn't want to have to worry about that. You have to fix the blue line still. You have to fix the forward depth. You have to figure out what you have at goaltending. You did not really want to have to figure out what you were going to do on Jack Eichel's left wing. That spot is now solidified. You don't have to worry about it. And the $9 million number is not its not really that cap restrictive. If you think about where they've been last year, for instance, essentially, he's just getting paid what he did last year plus what Molson was getting paid. Molson had, I think, a $5 million contract. Maybe it's a little bit more than that. You took a million off of Molson. And you just, you think about last year, he counted against your cap, except for $1 million. And this year, you're basically going to get the same production. You got zeros out of Molson. Uh, you got 40 out of Skinner. So just add the two salaries together, and guess what? Jeff Skinner and Matt Molson are probably going to give you similar production this year from what you got last year. And what was that number? i got to figure out what that number was. $3.9 million seems to sound right on that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you, you're, they're not restricted from doing anything else if they want to sign Matt Duchesne. If they're able to sign Matt Duchesne, if you can convince him to want to come here on a big number, then you can still do that. If you want to make a big splash on the blue line, if you want to trade for Jacob Truba without sending a lot of salary back the other way, you can do that. If you want to pay Sam Reinhart right now, you can do that. If you want to, I'll keep mentioning it, it's dumb, it's not going to happen. If you wanted to pay Sergei Bobrovsky, you could do that. You have enough flexibility left with your cap to be able to do pretty much whatever you want. There won't be any excuses if whatever they do this year fails. That's what seems to be happening with Ryan O'Reilly, though, to this moment. The only reasonable defense that isn't waiting on draft picks for the Ryan O'Reilly trade right now is it allowed you to be able to sign Jeff Skinner. It didn't really. O'Reilly not being on your cap right now would not have, or if he was here still, you could have still signed Skinner. You still, you still could have done it. Absolutely. Now, you couldn't have signed Skinner and then done something else big. But at the end of the day, there isn't a player you are going to get in free agency or via trade that is going to be better than the guy who is a win away from being the Conn Smythe winner for the St. Louis Blues. You are not going to replace that. And you can sign Matt Duchesne all you want. He's great. I hope they get it. I hope they do that. He's a very good player. I don't think he's as good as Ryan O'Reilly. His point production is very similar, and he doesn't give you the rest of the the, the, the two way game uh, or the face offs or or the the playmaking ability that I think O'Reilly possesses. So to me, I did, the only part of the whole Skinner ordeal is I don't like that the Sabres are almost using that as a defense 
for why they traded O'Reilly. They could have both been here. They would have been better off if they were both here. And I wish that they were. But at the end of the day, they got to go forward, and you still have to figure out how to replace O'Reilly as best you can. I am still one to think that Matt Duchesne is a reasonable idea. I think you could convince him to come here. Um, I would not pick the Sabres as any type of favorite to do it. Columbus returning there could be it. The Rangers are always a threat to do that. Um, Arizona seems ready to pay big for a couple of these guys. They want Kessel. They're trying to get Duchesne. He's priority one for them. So you're going to have some steep competition. But that, to me, is like that's next on the list. That would be the next thing I would want the Sabres to put at the top of their list of what to do. It wouldn't be to trade Ristolainen. It wouldn't be to trade for a Truba. It wouldn't be to trade for a Kessel. And it wouldn't be to trade for a Jason Zucker. Those are all good. Those are all nice players. Those are all players that you have to trade assets for. And none of them, I would say, are as good as what Matt Duchesne is. I would want them to go all in on that idea. And at the end of the day, that might not happen. It probably won't happen. But at least, signing Skinner, the Sabres have a baseline. Skinner, Eichel, Reinhardt. There's your foundation. That's what you really needed. To start this whole... Before you get good, you needed to have that foundation. It took way too long to figure out what it was, but they have it. They know who their best three forwards are. Those three guys can, I think, be your best forwards on a contending team. They just have a barren wasteland outside of them. On the blue line. Below them at forward. There's almost nothing there. And to me, that is what needs to be fixed. That is what is, I'm hoping, Jason Bottrell is going to be aggressive in trying to fix this offseason. Zucker is an idea that was proposed by Pierre Lebrun or reported by Pierre Lebrun that the Sabres are, or have kicked the tires on Jason Zucker. And I've watched some of his. I'm not an expert on the Minnesota Wild, but I watch enough wild hockey to know what his game is. And he's he is a guy, he's almost like a... He's like a Connor Sherry on steroids. Like, not literally, but he he's a better version to me of what Connor Sherry is. Fast, little undersized, finishing ability, can score, not much of a playmaker. And to me, if he's not scoring goals, he's not doing a whole hell of a lot. And that reminds me of what, what Connor Sherry is. I think he is in, he's a better version of that. If you want to do that, I'm on board with that. But he needs to be the best player in that trade. I'd be worried that Minnesota's looking for something else. Because the trade that they did make with Pittsburgh that was blocked by Phil Kessel was Jason Zucker and it was something else for Kessel and Jack Johnson. Kessel was the best player in the trade. Minnesota is trying to use Zucker to upgrade that same position. They're not satisfied with him as a top six winger, so what are they trying to do? They're trying to use him plus something else to get better there, to upgrade. And that's not the type of deal I want the Sabres to be looking at. I don't really know that they have the player for Minnesota to want to be looking at that anyway. Who would the upgrade of Zucker be right now in the Sabres' top six? It'd be Skinner, it would be Eichel, or it'd be Reinhardt. And you're not touching any three of them. So, 
I'd be okay if the Sabres make that type of trade for that guy, but he needs to be the best player in the deal. He needs to be the most valuable person in the deal. And like I said, he's good. He's not great. I don't think there's a lot more upside there. I think he's probably peaked. I think two years ago, he him scoring 33 goals, uh, surrounded by a lot of talent, like that is to me the best you are going to do uh, for him. But, but... Like, he is a consistent 20-goal scorer. 21 this year. 33 the year before, the year I just mentioned. 22 year before that. One down year in his uh, in his second full season with 13 goals. And then the year before that, 21 and 51. So, of his five seasons, he's put up 20 goals four times. That is valuable. That is something the Sabres do not have enough, enough of. But he can't be your big move of the offseason. I'm intrigued by him. But like I said, I don't want him to be the big move of the offseason. He would be a piece to the puzzle that the Sabres need to put together before the start of next season. Matthew Collar, formerly of this station, he now covers the Minnesota Wild in Minnesota. Here was what he had to say this morning on Zucker. He's really one-dimensional, and I don't mean one-dimensional and it's just offensive. I mean goal scoring, and that's really it. He's fast and he can score goals in transition, but beyond that, he is not a defensive player. He's not big, he's not physical, and he's not really a playmaker with the puck at, at any exceptional level of the top six. The other thing, too, is he's played in 31 playoff games in his career. He's got four goals. I think that's emblematic of how he played in those playoff games, the ones that uh, I've been here for. Now, part of me thinks, all right, you put him with Eichel, though. Like, that is, he's been surrounded by some talent in Minnesota, but has he ever been surrounded by an Eichel? We just saw what happened to Jeff Skinner, right? He was a guy who whose career high was 37. He had had some 20-goal seasons, but pretty much like a low 30-goal score. Playing with almost nobody's at center, like Victor Rask. Is that the best center that he played with in Carolina? It's probably one of the stalls, now that I think about it. Probably one of the stalls. But none, neither of them have the offensive ability of Eichel. What happened when Skinner came here? Career high in goals? I don't think that was because of a contract here. I think that was because of who his centerman was. And maybe you can't play both of those guys on the same line. Um, but what Reinhardt showed last year, like I can get on board with the Zucker idea especially, because Reinhardt showed last year that he is not just a passenger on a Jack Eichel line. He can drive. He can drive his own play, he can drive his own possession, he can drive his own chances, and he can create his own goals. I don't think, I was not a fan of his game before last season. Not at all. In fact, I was probably the biggest critic that I know of Sam Reinhardt before last year. I was ready to trade him. Last offseason, I was even tinkering with the idea, I probably said it on the air. I don't know if, I, I was thinking about it, I don't know if I would be opposed to a Sam Reinhardt for Jeff Skinner trade. I was all in on wanting Jeff Skinner. I wanted him almost no matter what. And I was not happy with what Reinhardt had been in the first few years of his career. He had showed to be, to me, a passenger on a Jack Eichel line. Last year, he was certainly not that. And to me, what he did last year could maybe open you up to making him a second-line player, driving his own line, and then you can you could take on another guy like a Jason Zucker, who, yeah, is one-dimensional, a goal scorer. He probably needs a really good center, at least, to be productive. But now that I got Reinhardt doing this, I think I could bring him in, and I think I can give him that situation. Because to me, that's the only way he's going to get it, unless you do sign Duchesne. If you sign Duchesne, then you have two options, and you have a lot of options to, to, to put together. 
And then that trade's almost a no-brainer. But for now, like to me, you need a commitment from this team to show that if you're going to bring in a one-dimensional player like that, you need to play him with Eichel and you need to recognize that last season, that top line was as productive with a Jason Pominville as it was with Sam Reinhart. That line up top is going to be productive whether Reinhardt is on it or not. And Reinhardt was still being productive on lower lines. So to me, and we got we got on Housley for this a lot. Everybody did. There's no logic to keeping him up on the top line if there's no difference between that and just some other guy. And Pommelville gave you 16 goals. How many can, could, could Zucker give you 30? While Reinhardt's giving you 60 points on a second line? Like, that is the formula for them to be good. That is the formula for them to break this playoff drought. They would need to make that trade. They'd probably need to do other stuff. But that's, like, at least a start. That's a first step. Here's more from Matthew Collar. It's not like he's one of those guys where I would say, oh, if you just put him in a better position, then he'll be fine. He'll score more. Like He's been put in about the best position you can with what the Minnesota Wild had. And what you're looking at, the average of the last three years is probably what you could expect from Zucker. My concern would be he's 27 years old. That isn't old, but he relies so much on his speed that if he loses a step at all, then he's probably like an average third-line winger. To me, that would be more of a, a problem for further down the road. He is fast, and I don't disagree with that point at all. I think if he were to lose his speed, like Sherry, which is why I think they're similar, they would be almost useless players. But he's 27 years old. I don't think that's happening anytime soon. It would be hard for me to see that happening anytime soon. I think you're getting at least three, four, maybe five years before he takes a decline on his skating speed. And some of those guys, you know, they never lose it. Carl Hagelin has been around for, it seems like, 15 years as one of the faster players in the league. And he's still going, and he's still super fast. Some guys never lose it. I'm not kidding you. Max Afinaganoff, I watched a highlight of his the other day in the KHL. He is still blazing fast. Some guys just don't lose it. Afinaganoff, by the way, I think won the, uh, might have been a couple years ago, but recently I think he won KHL uh, fastest player at at their all-star competition. So yeah, some guys just don't lose that speed. So maybe he would be good for a really long time if you were to bring him in here, play him with a premier centerman like Eichel, or Duchesne, or maybe middle stat some, at some point here becomes what uh, we're all hoping he becomes. Reinhardt at center is also an idea that came up today with Paul Hamilton when he was on with Chopin the Bulldog. Um, I am one to th- I want to see that again. I want to see that again in a better situation with better line mates. I'll expand on that a little bit uh, when we come back. We'll get to Jason Bottrell as well. Uh, other stuff I want to get to, the show Chernobyl has been awesome. If you haven't uh, seen it, you got to check it out. Um, it's, it's not going to be probably one of those viral shows. Maybe it'll have its little uh, time, in, time, in, uh, time in the limelight here, but it's a mini-series, so I don't really know if it has... I don't know if those have the capability of really exploding, like Game of Thrones or Breaking Bad or, you know, those those ones. It's the Nightcap with Jody Biasi. We'll read through some of your texts and tweets as well as we progress. 803-0550 is the number. You're listening to WGR.
whatever is happening on the floor, if it's going well, we stay with that. If it's not, we, we you know, we make quick decisions and we move forward. And we, we might, you know, rotate guys in and out quickly. We might get them 30 seconds rest here. In fact, if that's what it takes. But, you know, all hands on deck and, and uh, you know, we got everybody ready to go physically, mentally, whatever it takes to win the game. That's, that's what we'll do. That's Steve Kerr. The Warriors are now a favorite on the road down 3-1 in a series. I have to believe that's never happened before. Complete guess. I have no idea. I think the Elias Sports Bureau exists for this purpose uh, alone. But, uh, you know, I could have called them during the break. I forgot to. So, uh, I don't really ever call them. I kind of do that stuff myself. should probably try that, though. They seem to have everything. The Elias Sports Bureau. It's almost like this mythical, far-off place where there's just number crunchers and sports nerds just working in, I don't know, like inside a cave in Antarctica. Mystic. It seems like a mystic place. I don't know why. Um, They're a one-point favorite. Durant's back. It's amazing to me that the line is flipped that much. I think it was a a three-and-a-half-point line for Toronto. A few days ago. And Durant, yeah, he's playing. But I think as we've seen from anyone that's watched the the NBA Finals, DeMarcus Cousins, like all-star center, super good player. He was hurt all year for the Warriors. But when he did play, like he was good. He was productive. He averaged like 19 points a game. That's solid. That's very solid. And when he came back in this series, he looks like he just can't move. The guy's got a dent in his hip. Or his quad. A dent in his quad. And the guy looks like he can't run. He's playing all right, I would say, considering he can't move very much. But if you were to just say before the series, oh, DeMarcus Cousins is playing for the Warriors, all right, that's a huge advantage for them. But then you see him on the floor and you see, okay, actually, the guy's not that healthy. How much of a difference does it make? Minimal. And I think I'd want to see Durant first before I would want to bet anything on the Warriors. It's his calf. That's what you lift off from. And... To me, he's such a special talent that I'm not sure he has to lift off very much to still be a productive player, but we're not talking about him just being a productive player. If he's going to change the course of this series, he needs to be Kevin Durant. Like, superstar Kevin Durant. Not banged up. Uh, He played pretty well. 20 points. He only played 20 minutes. All right, good. That's not enough to me to flip this series. Toronto is great. Every player on their team that they play can shoot. All of them. And the Warriors don't have that. They have the two best shooters possibly in NBA history. Possibly the best three shooters in NBA history. It's still insane that that exists. But past that, they really don't have anybody. Draymond is having a career worse year shooting. Uh, Looney can't shoot. Iguodala can't shoot. Even though he made that one shot a couple games ago. But over a larger sample size, he can't shoot. Uh, Cousins can, but he's not really doing it. Quinn Cook. I don't know. That guy always plays. And I never see him hit baskets. McKinney. Does he hit threes? I, I don't know. Toronto, it's like all of them. Danny Green's a great three-point shooter. Lowry's a great three-point shooter. Kawhi's a great three-point shooter. Even the bigs, Abaka and uh, Gasol, they're both good three-point shooters. The Raptors are so good now at hitting threes that, what is it? That uh, This came out a couple days ago. McDonald's in Toronto 
have lost about $5.8 million over the season because they had to deal with the Raptors that every time they hit 12 threes in a game, you would all fans would get a medium fry for free. And I think when they made that deal, it's when DeMar DeRozan was there. It was before the Kawhi trade. And if you know anything about basketball, DeMar DeRozan is very good, but he's not a three-point shooter. So when they made that deal, I don't think they were expecting that a couple days later, wherever whenever it happened, it was right away, that uh, the Raptors would be acquiring two of their best three-point shooters. But that's the thing. They're, they're, the floor is spaced, and like they are solid. They, this is not these Cavs teams from recent memory. Like last year's Cavs team was LeBron and a bunch of role players. The year before that, it was LeBron, Kyrie, and Love and a bunch of role players. The year they won the championship is really the only year, I would say, outside of their big three guys, they had some really useful, productive players. And the Raptors, every single guy they play is like good, at least, if not great. Um, so I think they need, I think the Warriors absolutely need a completely healthy Durant. Uh, to have any chance of winning three in a row here. If he is completely healthy, though, I think I would pick them to win three in a row. I think with him healthy, with Clay healthy, and with Curry healthy, and maybe none of those things are true right now, but if they all are, I think they're the most unbeatable sports team I've ever seen. So if you told me they were all healthy right now, I would pick them to win three games in a row. I think they're completely unbeatable with those three. But all three might be banged up, so... I guess if I had to predict now, I would say the Raptors uh, probably even close it out tonight. Um, we were talking about the Sabres in the first segment and the Skinner contract and how it sets up their lineup. We got into Sam Reinhardt a little bit at the end, um, and it came up earlier on the station with Paul when he was on with uh, Shope and the Bulldog about Reinhardt as a center. And Chad D. Dominicus of, uh, um, of Die by the Blade had a, a story on this a couple days ago about kind of whether the Sabres should consider putting Reinhardt back in the middle, I, I would absolutely do it. I think there is more to see there. I think you've seen, what is it, nine games with Reinhardt as an 18-year-old before he was any type of ready to be in the NHL. I think a lot of us forget that that even happened. The tank year, right at the beginning, Reinhardt played the first nine games of the season. He was just not ready for the NHL. And he was playing on an underwhelming, uh, I mean, a team that was built to lose. That's what he was playing center with. So he wasn't getting any help there. I'm not judging him on those nine games. He played 12 games as a center in Housley's first year. And as uh, Chad DiDominicus, uh shows here, and uh, I double-checked this too, um, his most, the, the wingers he played with the most in those 12 games as a center were Zemgus Giergensen's, Benoit Pouliot, Seth Griffith, and Nick Baptiste. And the only guy of those that are even, it's even in the NHL right now, and maybe that won't be for much longer, is Zemgus Giergensen's. He was playing a third-line role behind O'Reilly, behind Eichel, with no scoring talent around him. What was he supposed to do? Literally go ISO the whole, the whole time and just go coast-to-coast? That's not even his game, even if he, anyone could do that. It's not his game. If you surrounded him with some good wingers, they don't have to be great. I don't need Skinner on his wing. I don't even need a Vander Canes or like some of the guys that we've even had here. But you gave him, I don't know, Sherry? And maybe you trade for Zucker? Or maybe you sign a guy in free agency? Hayes is a center, so he wouldn't be it. Uh, I love the idea of Marcus Johansson. 
If you just told me t- next year that Reinhardt's going to be playing center and he's going to be playing a lot with uh, Zucker, Johansson, and Sherry at center, I'm betting you he scores 50 points plus. I don't think he takes a major hit because he's down the middle all of a sudden. I'm sure there'll be some adjusting considering it's been a while since he played center. But do we really think Sam Reinhardt is a centerman from what he showed last year would just suddenly be a bad hockey player? Would he be as good as he is on the wing? Probably not. But guess what? I think it's more valuable in this league to have a 60-point centerman than to have a 70-point winger. I can find wingers, especially ones that will score loads and loads of goals on Jack Eichel's wing. I can find that. But what I can't find everywhere is 50-plus point centermen. And I think that's in there. I think he has that ability. After seeing what he did last year, driving play himself, I think there is a good centerman in there. I think there's a good to great second-line center in there. And I want to see it come out, and it can't come out if they don't give him a real, realistic shot at it. I don't blame him for his poor play playing with Seth Griffith and Nick Baptiste. An extended period of time. That's what I'd like to see. Because again, just watch him from last year. He was not a passenger. He drove play. That's what you need to be able to do as a center. Centers need to be the guys that are capable of driving the play. And if now that he, to me, has shown that, I think that's when you put him back down the middle. You got to start thinking about what's best for the team, not just what's best for the player. It's better for the team if he's putting up 55, 60-point seasons as a second-line center playing with Connor Sherry than if he's putting up 70-point seasons with Eichel. To me, it's more valuable, the, the, the former. Think about what's best for the team, not just what's best for the player. That needs to be a, There needs to be at least some mindset in the organization of that. C.J. Smith, Victor Olofsson, Alex Nylander, they spent the entirety, the entire season down in Rochester until right at the end when the Sabres were out of the mix. And you could argue that was good for their development. But at some point, you gotta say, screw development, I need to win hockey games. And if Victor Olofsson is better than half your forwards, then... You need to say, I need to take a break from development because I need him up here scoring goals. And I'm also not one to believe that you just ruin a guy for playing him a little early in the NHL. Can it hit a guy's confidence? Sure. Can it have an effect on some guys? Sure. But to me, if you're going to be a great player in the NHL, you have to have the mental fortitude to be able to take on adversity. You also have to have the talent to do it. And if a guy has the talent to do it, is he just not going to be ever be a good hockey player now because he was in the NHL? Like if Victor Olsen, let's say, let's let's fast forward two years down the road after spending an entire season in Rochester, he comes up, plays for the Sabers this year, and let's say by 2021, he's potting 30 goals in the, in the net uh, a year. Am I to think that if he had played only half a season? In 2018-2019, that he'd be a 20-goal scorer instead? That he'd be a 15-goal scorer instead? That he wouldn't even be in the NHL? If he's got the talent, he's got the talent. And eventually, you'd like to think that you'll have prospects good enough 
that'll get there that you don't have to coddle for entire seasons or two seasons or in Alex Nylander's case, three seasons in the AHL. Because when you have to wait two, three, four years for a guy to show up and be good for you, it's not development. You made a bad pick. Or you have the wrong guy that you're bringing up. 803 That was a point on Reinhardt. The kind of transition there into uh, development overall. Uh, I'm going to take a time out here. Madison Bumgarner. This guy and all of baseball's unwritten rules can just get, get out of here. You can just go. It needs to be over. Baseball will die if it continues down this path. It's utterly ridiculous. I'll expand on that when we come back. It's the Nightcap with Jody Biasi here on WGR. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. God, I can't even say it with a straight face. I was going to say the more I think about it, you got to just let the kids play. That's what, that's what everybody's saying, but I can't. <laughs> <laughs> they want to let everybody be themselves and you know, let me be myself. That's me. You know, I'd just assume fight and walk or whatever. So just do your thing. I'll do mine. Okay, this is the worst argument ever. That that is, this is Madison Baumgartner, Giants pitcher. He he got into it with Max Muncy. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Of the Dodgers. After he hit a home run and had the audacity to not immediately sprint to first base. It's not even like he stared at it for five, six seconds. Did he take his time a little bit? Sure. One, two. Okay, he's gone. There he goes. He's jogging. And the argument that everyone wants, uh, you know, everyone wants these young baseball players to be themselves. Well, let me be myself. You being yourself by being mad at other people for being their selves is like that. Not the same thing at all. Not the same thing at all. If you want baseball to be any kind of progressive, any kind of fun, any kind of emotion in the sport, you let guys celebrate when they've done the most impressive thing in the sport. The most impressive individual thing in the sport that everyone tries to do. Hit home runs. When you hit a home run, you should be allowed to celebrate a little bit, not act like a robot, and jog around the bases and call it a day. Celebrate a little. Be you. Be personable. Show your personality. And I don't think it's a personality to... Not want other people to show their personality. That's just being a jerk. That's really what it is. Madison Bumgarner is being a jerk. Sure, you can be a jerk if you want. But the problem really comes when you've got a lot of people acting like that. And that's still baseball. 
This guy from uh, the White Sox that uh, that I'm starting to like, Tim Anderson. He's like, all right, I just want. He actually on in an interview. Like this is why I like him. Straightforward guy. He's honest. He just says what he thinks. Love it. We don't have enough athletes like that. He gets asked a question about like any uh, other uh, some other baseball topics. Like I don't really follow baseball. Too boring. He plays the sport, and he recognizes that you're not allowed to have fun. You're not allowed to do anything when you hit a home run. If you don't immediately jog the first, jog the second, jog the third, jog home, then you're going to get hit with a 100-mile-an-hour fastball. Think of the logic there. The unwritten rules of baseball is just a, it's just the pits of society. It is something that just needs to be rid from sports. It needs to be rid from baseball. And I'm the last person that needs to say this because I hate baseball. Um, as a, I, I hate I hate watching baseball. I should say it just I can't get into it. It's too slow. And every time something exciting like that happens, well, then I get this stuff thrown in my face. And that stinks. You're doing a bad job marketing to young people if, you, if you're allowing that to happen. Now, I, my, my thoughts on baseball are a little extreme, so I'm not even going to go into them. Because for me to get to baseball, it would probably alienate every single fan that exists. Aluminum bats, a lot shorter seasons... Take away, uh, take away a defender from the field. Like this, this is the stuff I'm thinking. So, take everything I'm saying here with a grain of salt, knowing I am not a baseball fan. But I just hate the unwritten rules. I hate it. It's the worst. Celebrate the NBA. Why is the NBA exploding with popularity right now? Part of it's a sport, for sure. Part of it is you get the superstars performing every night. You get the superstars playing most of the game every night. The superstars are the ones who influence whether you win or lose, like almost entirely them on their own. Part of it is, too, that these guys are like they create followings. Because they're on social media, they're on Instagram, they're on Snapchat. They're getting into stuff, they're getting into drama, they're getting into beef with others. And real beef, not like this fake baseball beef. So I think they, them more than anybody, hockey too, they need to look at the NBA like a lot of sports do, and they need to see why is that working? Why is that exploding with popularity? Why do they have a bigger following right now with young people than these other sports? They really need to take a look at that and figure it out. 803 is the phone number. We'll take a call or two when we come back. Uh, we'll get to Jason Bottrell. I promised that earlier. We will get to it. His conference call, if you missed that from over the weekend, on Skinner, on the offseason plans. He gets a little into a little into that, as well as some of the young players. Thompson. Uh, I almost said a poso for some reason. Thompson. Olafson. There we go. I was looking for the O letter, or the O name. Uh, Nylander as well. All of that. Straight ahead. Hour number two after this. Then I cap with Jody Biasi here on WGR. Worried I couldn't bench two plates, that I wouldn't fit in, that I wouldn't find love. Then I discovered partying, and suddenly all those worries went to the wayside. I didn't need love. I had keg stands. I discovered I was great at raging, and it revealed wonderful things about myself. I could relate to bros, regardless of what kind of bro they were. I could be at a party, and moon people, and everyone would laugh. You know, be witty. Or... 
I could play beer pong and compete with real integrity. In short, I fulfilled my potential. The Nightcap on WGR Sports Radio 550. So Vince Carter is right now on stage talking to all these Raptor fans at Jurassic Park. They've been waiting in the rain for hours and hours and hours. And it looks like they're all cheering him. And I'm just thinking to myself, all right, they must be in a really good mood. I mean, they're up 3-1 in the NBA Finals, so I'm expecting, of course, they would be. But, I mean, he, he was like the superstar of the team that left. And I know they get over it at some point, but you, you love him all of a sudden? Isn't that a little strange? Tracy McGrady's up there, too. He did the same thing. If the Sabres were in the Stanley Cup Finals in... Oh, what's a realistic number year to put on this? 2023. That's probably unrealistic. But let's say the Sabres are in the Stanley Cup Final in 2023. And the party in the plaza is going crazy. They're up 3-1. Here comes Game 5. You can win the Cup in Buffalo tonight. And there's the stage. And out on the stage walks Chris Drury. Are we cheering Chris Drury? I think we are booing Chris Drury. I don't think we care at that time that we are up 3-1 in the Stanley Cup Final. You left us once upon a time. We remember. The North remembers, as Game of Thrones would put it. I don't think we'd be cheering Chris Drury just because we're happy we're up 3-1 in the series. So it's a little strange to me that they were, uh, they were rooting for uh, or cheering for, Chris, uh, for Vince Carter. Interesting one. Madison Bumgarner was a topic of conversation in the last segment. We're going to talk about that in a second. And we'll also get to Jason Bottrell, uh, his conference calls. We uh, re-enter Skinner debate or uh, Skinner talk here. Uh, nine years, $72 million, was signed on Friday night. He is in the fold long-term. We'll get back to the Sabres in a little bit. Buzz. What's up, man? Buzz, you're on the line. What's up? Joel, how you doing tonight? Good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good, thanks. Hey, um, I just wanted to touch on uh, the Madison Bumgarner thing just, just briefly. Sure. And you take this all with a grain of salt. Um, I am a Giants fan. I lived out there for more than a decade, and um, it was actually pretty cool. They won three World Series while I was there, which I'd never experienced a team I chaired for with right. anything. So, dude, it was it was awesome. The parades were – it was crazy. So what you got to understand about this whole incident with Muncie is they're playing the Dodgers, all right? And, and I'm talking about hatred in that relation – you know, in that rivalry – like, you could roll up the Dolphins and the Patriots into one, and that's the Dodgers for Giants fans. And Mad Bum, he's a country boy. You know, he grew up on a pig farm in North Carolina. He's country strong. He's country big. He doesn't take any bleep from any of these guys. You know, he'll challenge the biggest dude. And also, I just want to say that because he plays in the National League, he can talk whatever junk he wants, and he can throw at whoever he wants if he wants to do it. Now, he didn't do that. But he's got to get up there and stand in the batter's box. And he is, by the way, he's the best hitting pitcher in baseball over the course of the last 10 years, too. So I just want to – I'm not making excuses for him. I'm not I, – I, I, I like your point, and I'm a baseball player myself. I hung up with him mm-hmm. about five years ago when I was living out there playing in an over-40 league. But, so I'm a baseball guy myself, but I'm with you on the unwritten rules are a bunch of crap pretty much. But I'm just trying to explain it to you from gotcha. – of It's a dodger, bro. Gotcha. Yeah, that, that definitely clears things up. Thanks for calling, man. Because right. the, yeah, you too. There, there's definitely animosity there. You could tell. Um, 
So the fact that it's not all, you know, just that he stared at his home run for a second and a half definitely changes things a little bit. I still hate the unwritten rules. I will still fight the war against the unwritten rules forever, but that definitely does change things a little bit. If there was already some, if there's already like some animosity uh, hanging around there, um, all right. I still don't like this Bumgarner guy. Not a fan. Not a fan at all. It's uh, raining outside, which sucks. I was hoping to be golfing in the next few days. It's been tough. I, I don't know. Our own Nate Gary here at WGR, I don't know how he does it. He is golfing like four times a week. I think it's just because he's uh, he's been okay with golfing in straight mud. But I, I'm not one. I, need, I don't need it to be perfect weather. If it's 50 and cloudy, I'll go golfing. The ground's got to be dry for me, though. Because if I'm, if I'm chunking my shots, if I'm hitting them fat, if I can't hit behind the ball because it's just going to sink into the mud, I'll get frustrated, I'll get mad, I'll end up throwing a club in a lake. Not really, but I, I can't even put up with it. It oh, frustrates me to no end. And Nate's out here golfing all the time. It's raining right now. Anyways, we'll get back to the Sabres here. Jason Bottrell's conference call. If you missed that, it was from Saturday after the Sabres signed Skinner, kind of previewing the offseason to what's to come. The first two big things are out of the way. They got the head coach, and you brought your star player back. Now is where you really make the changes that are going to matter, or they're going to be big differences to what you were last season. Uh, free agency, trades, what you plan on happening with the young players, et cetera, et cetera. Jason Bottrell touches on all of those things and more here. His conference call from Saturday right here. Hi, Jason. It's John Warrell with the Associated Press. Hey, John. Jason? Yep. <laughs> um, congrats on the signing. And, and can you, you express optimism throughout, this whole, uh, throughout the whole negotiating process since January? What gave you the belief that this thing was going to be done and what drove you to get this thing done um, based on how much you, you spent? Well, I think it's a situation where obviously we're ecstatic to have uh, Jeff a part of our organization uh, for the next eight years. I think both sides uh, were very happy with the relationship over the past year. I, I think it's my job to show optimism. Um, I think when uh, the organization wants a player and when a, a player demonstrates the organization says that he wants to be part of the solution, um, it's my job to try to find uh, a way to come to an agreement. And uh, I understand that's not always going to happen, but uh, uh, very get, glad that uh, myself and Newport could come to a resolution and uh, get this deal done. You know, you've said so many times that it was a priority to get Jeff re-signed. Was there a particular reason? I mean, obviously, you look at the numbers, you look at how prolific he was at times last year, but what does he do for your team kind of big picture? Well, I think big picture, it's, he came in and, and he scored goals. It's, it's, it's pretty much uh, what the, the game's about is scoring goals, and it's something where we've struggled with. And we understand that Jeff, um, Jeff's goal total will probably fluctuate over his time in Buffalo. Uh, but what uh, you look back on the stats, he's extremely consistent in creating chances at even strength. And certainly his sort of... Uh, um, Rate of uh, success or rate of capitalization on, on scoring goals is going to fluctuate from year to year, um, but uh, you know it's it's something that we've talked a lot about of improving our scoring up front and improving our depth scoring, and we want to uh, add to our group and not try to have to go out there and try to replace what Jeff Skinner can bring. 
the other element that gave us comfort in, in going to a deal with this, uh, with Jeff, is just how he fit in with our group. Um, I thought he was a great influence on uh, our young players, the relationship with some of our elite players, such as Jack and Sam. Um, but going out of his way to have an impact on Rasmus Dahlin and Casey Middlestat and just his professionalism off the ice. Um, you know, that's probably one of the next questions is going to be about giving an eight-year contract to a 27-year-old. But uh, there's always going to be risk sometimes in doing that. Uh, but we feel very comfortable in how Jeff handles himself off the ice, um, how he's dedicated to conditioning and, and training. And uh, we think that attitude, along with our, our sports science department, uh, will hopefully allow him to, to be healthy and, and, and help the Buffalo Sabres for the next eight years. Jason, how do you navigate, I know the cap's going to go up in the coming years, but how do you navigate the challenge of having two players like Jack and, and Jeff take up a significant uh, portion of your cap space or, or your cap overall? And I, I guess the fault, my second question is, how did your experience in Pittsburgh having two players with similar contract structures sort of prepare you to navigate that challenge? Look, I think uh, this contract just goes to show you with when players, you know, very good players want to stay here in Buffalo and be a part of it, we're going to find a way to try to get it done. And uh, our goal is to continue to try to develop our players within our system, and uh, and we want to give them big contracts. We we want them to be, uh, to develop and and uh, be players that uh, that are deserving of very big contracts. And I think, uh, um, you know, I feel very comfortable. Um, you know, having some of our top players um, taking uh, pieces of our, our salary cap up. Uh, I think it's, uh, you know, people talk about some teams throughout the league having, you know, cap situations. Well, they have cap situations because they have excellent players on their roster. That's what we're trying to get to. And I think the successful teams here certainly have are willing to find ways to get deals done with their top players, but then also continually have young players coming through the system here. And that's what we're trying to develop here. It's why we continue to try to have draft picks. We continue to have such an emphasis on Rochester and player development um, because we want to find ways to, to keep good players here in Buffalo and then also continue to have strong teams by bringing entry-level contracts into the system, into into our team. Jason, it's Bill Harold. Ultimately, what do, you, what do you think sold Jeff on the Sabres, a long-term commitment to the Sabres? Uh, just, what are your thoughts on that? You know, I think that's a question to ask directly to Jeff, but just, you know, in my discussions with Jeff, I think he, he felt very comfortable um, how he was treated uh, coming to the, to the organization. It's always difficult being traded uh, for the first time and coming to a new environment. I felt we handled it well for him. He was allowed to, to stay focused um, on hockey. I think just the facilities and whether it's in Buffalo or on the road is first class, and I think he appreciated that. And then I think he just sees the potential for this team. I think um, he obviously he was a big part of our success in the first half, and there was a frustration in the second half there of, of certainly how uh, our team performed. Uh, but he sees the potential in the Jack Eichel. He sees the potential in Rasmus Dahlin or Casey Middlestad and some of our Cage Thompson and some of our younger players. Uh, and I think that certainly has got him excited to uh, where this organization could go in the future. Hey, Jason, John Vogel with The Athletic. Uh, you mentioned there might be some fluctuations, but he did just set a career high. Is there still more room to grow for Jeff, even though he is 27? Uh, I, I certainly believe so. Um, I think, uh, 
you know, you can always debate it, John, back and forth on, hey, was he fortunate for some of the goals that he had early in the season? But then he went through a slump uh, in the second in the second half of the season. Um, I, I think there's still opportunity for him to to go beyond that, and um, I think uh, with the, the hopefully with us put you know having younger players that are going to continue to improve around him, um, and having a stronger team around him will just allow him to have better goal totals and stuff there. And like I said, um, the way he's goes about his, and having a work ethic and going about trying to find different methods. Uh, keeping his body in shape, training in the off season, but then also being a student of the game on where to go on the ice, you know, uh, body position in and around the net. Uh, I still believe he's growing as a player for sure. Jason, it's Warrow again. What do you make? How, how does this contract and, and, and now your, your new salary structure as it stands with with this contract? Does it in any way handcuff you um, to add? more elite players, including, you know, in free agency this offseason, while knowing Rasmus Dahlin's contract uh, here is coming up in a, you know, just sort of on the horizon? Well, look, uh, we have young players such as Rasmus in our organization, and it's our job uh, to continue to help them develop um, so they're deserving of, the, of these higher-end contracts. Um, I think in, in our sort of focus as we move forward here, we'll certainly be, um active in talking to different teams or different players um, in free agency. Uh, we'll, we'll see how that plays out. Our, our biggest focus, I think, heading into free agency was, was getting Jeff signed, and we've accomplished that. Um, we'll continue to talk to see if there's a fit uh, to help out our team from that aspect. And we'll also look at, uh, I think, you know, sometimes more realistic option is through trades like we did last year with Connor Sheary and, and Matt Humwick. And you know, as in our, our cap space from that standpoint. So we'll continue, or, or adding a player like Jeff Skinner, and we did later on in the summer. So I think we'll continue to look at both ways through the, both the trade uh, route and free agency to see uh, if we can improve our team. Jason, I know obviously you don't probably want to go into super detail on something about this, but. What are your goals in free agency? Like, what kind of players do you want to add to this roster? I know you touched on that a little bit at the end of the season press conference, but ideally, what kind of players would you like added? Oh, it's it's it's, it's a fair comment, but it's I'll, I'll probably respond with a general comment. We we didn't make the playoffs. We we have to continue to improve in, in a lot of different facets. Um, you know, I think the easiest one, and what we've talked a lot about, is continuing to try to add more scoring to our group, especially up front. Um, and that's why, you know, getting Jeff signed was such a big deal for us. Uh, we want to uh, we want to focus on adding to that group, not replacing. And uh, that's what we've accomplished with signing up with Jeff. And we certainly are excited about some of our young players going into different roles there. Um, but if we can find a way to, to add a little bit more depth instead of relying so much on Jeff, Sam, and Jack, uh, I think that's certainly one of our goals here as an organization. Jason, it's Lance from the Buffalo News. Is there an interest in bringing Jason Plumlinville back? Have you guys made a decision yet on him? No, Jason's actually working on our facility here right now. We've kept a dialogue open with him. Um, you know, uh, not surprising, Jason is uh, working extremely hard in the offseason. Uh, we'll continue that dialogue uh, through the summer, and uh, you know, it will certainly dictate on how things sort of present itself um, during the talking period with free agents and sort of what materializes from the trade front. Uh, both at the draft and, and heading into July 1st there. 
Hey, Jason, Joe Yarden from The Athletic. I uh, was curious if there was any pressure on yourself to get something done before negotiation period uh, opened up. Well, I, I certainly think that's it's fair assumption. We didn't want it to get to that part. I think um, when you get to talking to other teams and uh, other situations, there, there's, there always, it always brings in more of a risk that the player is going to leave. And uh, what I like about the two sides, I know some people may have thought that this negotiation uh, dragged on, uh, but the bottom line was there wasn't going to be a resolution until we had a head coach in place. And then once we got the head coach in place, you certainly have to go through the process of making sure the head coach interacts with Jeff. Um, and then you, you start talking. And, and it's not just a, a simple thing of, hey, here's the numbers type of thing. When, when you're looking at a deal like this, uh, there's structure, there's different clauses that you have to, you have to look at the entire package. And uh, um, at the same token, I thought all our discussions were very cordial. Uh, all our discussions were certainly trying to find a resolution uh, to both sides' uh, sort of stance, stance and, what, and what they wanted to accomplish through the negotiations. And the fact that we were able to get this done two weeks before the talking period, three weeks before July 1st, um, I think uh, uh, was, was great from both sides. And, uh, you know, we're very excited to have Jeff on board, but um, to, to get back to your first thing, yeah, we certainly didn't want it getting to a point where uh, he's discussing options with our teams and discussing uh, different possibilities there. Okay, a few more questions. Jason, it's Warrell again. Um, what if this team and, and and some people, you know, if you look at the team, how it played last year, if it has underachieved the previous two years, how difficult is it knowing what the potential of this team is, um, you know, moving forward and, and and assessing your roster and and now with the new coach in place. Well, look, John, I think this team is showing glimpses of it. You say our first half versus how it performed the second half. It's, it's all over the place from that standpoint. And uh, um, I think with so many young players, you continue to hope that um, it's our job to help them develop. And, and you saw Jack, Sam taking steps from a statistical standpoint. And, you know, in the, in the past year, now we need that from some of our younger players, whether it's uh, Casey Middlestat, uh, Tage Thompson, uh, Victor Olson stepping in. Alex Nylander, uh, we need some of these young players stepping in there. And uh, you know, I think we're excited about where our group can move to. Um, I think we've shown um, glimpses and we've gone through different stretches, but we've been a good team. Now it's our job to, to be a lot more consistent over 82 games. So that certainly gives us hope, but we also understand that there needs to be a lot of work to, to be done with that. But from a standpoint of projecting exactly what, know where we're going to be, I think that's very difficult for the National Hockey League. You just look at what's happened in the playoffs. You just look at, you know, where the uh, so-called experts had a lot of predictions uh, for for teams at the start of the year and where they end up finishing. It's the beauty of our sport. There's that much parity, and we have an opportunity, I think, to accomplish something and and to be playing in meaningful games later on in the season. Um, but that will certainly be dictated of how we come together as a team, what moves we make here in the summer, and and also a lot on on our players on how they're they're going about things with their training throughout the summer. Jason Paul Hamilton here. You've got some guys, some younger players, that ever since they've been drafted in Buffalo have done really nothing but lose and lose badly. And you, you talk to these guys, you can see how it wears on them because nobody wants to lose, everybody wants to win. How much do you take that into account of somebody's just mentally maybe need to change when you're thinking of trades or you're thinking of 
qualifying offers or you're thinking of those things, do you take that into account that maybe these guys have just lost too much and need to change the scenery? It's, it's certainly a concern. Uh, it's no doubt, Paul. Um, uh, what what gives us hope is is a lot of these a lot of these players have had success earlier in their careers in other situations whether it's uh, you know uh, junior college over in Europe uh, world championships uh, and they at least do know how to win in those environments there and uh, I also the thing that gives us uh, as a hope is what what materialized in November December. Uh, I think uh, it's uh, they, they realize what could happen with the city when you have some success and what and and when and I think what sh- happened in the first half at least shows these guys uh, it can be accomplished. Now it's the next step to do it over 82 games. Jason Bottrell, there he is. You can check that on demand WGR550.com if you missed any portion of that. Also, some good stuff in there. Matthew Collar uh, from the morning show today taking a look at Jason Zucker and uh, more of an in-depth look at what the Sabres could be acquiring if that does end up happening. Nothing concrete on that yet other than a report from Pierre LeBron that they kicked the tires. And uh, some other good stuff in there as well. Mike Kelly, TSN. TSN and the Point Hockey. If you don't follow the Point Hockey on Twitter, you should because they are dynamite uh, with their analysis. And he was on with Sal on Saturday. That's in there too. We'll take a timeout now. Justin Bieber versus Tom Cruise. What is going on there? Uh, as well as some other UFC stuff. There was a really good card uh, over the weekend. I'll, I'll mix in some boxing, too. I don't want to spend too much time on that because I know uh, those two sports aren't super popular um, around here right now. But uh, I, I do want to touch on that a little bit uh, as we progress. And we'll get back into Skinner as well because I have one more thought uh, on how he affects the lineup that I did not get to in the first hour that I meant to get to. Uh, that'll be coming, too. It's the Nightcap with Jody Biasi, about a half hour left here on WGR. Well, you hope it's wins, obviously. Uh, Decision-making is where the jump is, I don't want to say easiest to make because it's hard to make decisions in the NFL as a young passer sometimes. But he certainly has room to grow there, and I think that's the most adjustable part of a player's game. His other area that he needs improvement is accuracy, but I, I don't think that's going to get improved a whole lot. Players tend to be what they are as a thrower, and he's a strong-armed, up-and-down thrower, and I think the Bills in an honest moment, would tell you they're willing to live with that. There's Andy Benoit from MMQB on with One Bills Live earlier today. Can I, can I just say this, by the way? Not everybody has to be as blunt as like Aaron Schatz, for instance. I think a big reason that Bills fans get on him the most isn't just his opinions, but how he puts them. Like He comes right out and he says it, and he's like, doesn't really sugarcoat anything. I like that about him, but that can rub a lot of people the wrong way, especially when you disagree with them. Uh, when you, when I hear room to grow, all I think is that he stunk in that aspect. Like, I think room to grow, lots of room to grow especially, is just code for he was bad at it. And I, I read a piece from Benjamin Solak, the Draft Network, super smart guy uh, on quarterbacks. He, he posted something on Josh Allen, a review of Allen from his rookie year uh, over the weekend. And he looked at a bunch of film, a bunch of different plays, and like, We've all, have we all watched the highlights? Even last week, I went on YouTube, you know, just looking for something to watch for five, ten minutes, and I came across Josh Allen's 2018 highlights, and it was like an eight-minute long video. So I watched it. Get hyped up for the Bills, get hyped up for Josh Allen, because, you know, I'm optimistic on him, despite the fact that I hated the pick in the first place, but I liked his rookie year, I'm optimistic, and watched the highlight video. And there was a lot of amazing stuff in there. 
as Andy Benoit says there, a lot of high highs, maybe some low lows. Benjamin Solak from the Draft Network kind of took a look at some of those lows. And the reason that I am very, very hesitant to jump to we found our guy after the season that we've seen is those lows are alarmingly bad. There are some awful plays in there. That Jets interception, I was at that game. I watched it from right behind Josh Allen. He is scrambling to his right. There is no play there. You throw it away. That is your only option. And he tries to make a throw into double coverage, and it was never even close. It was an easy interception. To be fair, Darnold made the same mistake, I think, right after. But Allen did it. And he also did it against the Packers. We all remember that. I think it was near the end of the first half where he's scrambling to his right. They're in the red zone, in field goal range, and he throws a duck into the end zone that's easily intercepted. There's other stuff. There was a couple scrambles that Benjamin Solak looked at. A couple scrambles that I saw on the highlight video. And I think we all have to think to ourselves, yes, from what we saw of Josh Allen, he was good, if not really good. But what Solak did is he kind of looked at the expanded view, the all-22 view, because you don't always see what's happening down the field. Josh Allen scrambles and picks up 10 yards. Well, that was a great play. Was it? Because maybe he missed out on a bigger play downfield, and there were a couple examples of this. One against the Jaguars, where Allen scrambles to his right, and he runs, and he scrambles, and he picks up like eight or nine yards, and I think he gets a first down. What you don't see on TV is in the expanded look, Allen is sitting in the pocket, he's got a pretty clean pocket, and he has got a guy coming wide open over the middle of the field, about 30-40 yards down the field, that might have ended up being a touchdown, and if not, would have been a big gain. But, what ends up happening is he runs, and he picks up 10, so what do we all think to ourselves? Alright, good play. Good play, and you do that enough times, we don't really think about what could have been, if you're making enough of those good run plays. The Zay Jones, big catch uh, early in the season. Remember this one? Allen is scrambling to his left, and he throws it as far as he can, and Jones has to come back to it, but it's okay because the DB is is overrun the route, and he bobbles it, and he makes the catch. Big play, right? Expanded look. What happened? Zay Jones was wide open four or five seconds before. Would have been an easy touchdown. Allen didn't see it. And then when he finds him, he finds him late. It's still a big play. But he found him late. So all I'm saying is, take what he did with a grain of salt. A lot of the criticism he's gotten is fair. It's not because these guys hate the Bills. Or they want to be right. Some of them are sure it is. But there were legitimate concerns with Allen. And all I just... The the spot I'm in is where I think most Bills fans should be. Be optimistic. Be hopeful that he's already better than a lot of the criticism... That was lobbied against him going into the draft. But by no means, by no means, is he locked in as the guy. You cannot know after that season that he's the franchise quarterback. I might want to say he's trending towards that, but no way, no way is it, are we dead set on, like, we found the guy. We might have, but I'm not sold. And I don't think anyone should be sold after one season. We've been tricked by a lot less. We have. We wanted to pay Fitz after four games. We wanted to pay Tyrod after one season. We've wanted to do a lot of stuff. 
If he puts on a show this year, if he improves accuracy-wise, decision-making-wise, if he gets rid of some of those lows while keeping some of the highs, he doesn't even have to be perfect because he's never going to be perfect. He's always going to be a pretty risky quarterback. And by that I mean like he's going to have some plays where you go, oh, did he just do that? Where you're also going to have some plays where you're like, wow, look at that. So if he improves the accuracy, if he improves the decision-making, to me there's absolutely a potential for him to take that step this year with his tools and be the franchise quarterback that we're all hoping he'll be. Can he make a step forward like Carson Wentz made in his second year? Wentz is the one example I'm starting that's growing on me. Not Trubisky. Trubisky gets compared to Allen. Like, will we take Trubisky's second year? You know what? I would not. I'm more hopeful than that. We've got a quarterback that can throw the ball 95 yards. We've got a quarterback that can jump over big linebackers. We've got a quarterback that can make Kiko Alonso look like he should be playing peewee and not in the NFL. We've got a guy that was has so many tools that he got drafted seventh overall, despite the fact that he almost put up that he pretty much put he pretty much put up garbage stats in college. I am more hopeful than that. Trubisky is a safe, mobile quarterback that needed a system to make him good in his first two years. His first year, he showed almost nothing. In year number two, he was good. He was solid. I need more than good. I need more than solid. You traded lots of stuff to get this guy. You drafted this guy over two other first-round quarterbacks. You traded away good players on this team to be able to get the assets to get him. He needs to be better than good or solid. He has the ability to be better than good or solid. I need to see Wentz. I need to see that jump. That's what I want to see out of him. That's why I would not take Trubisky for him in year two. I would take Wentz. Wentz was not actually great in his rookie season. It was actually a very comparable rookie season to EJ Manuel. If you look hard at what Carson Wentz was in his rookie year, it was about EJ Manuel's year. There was more yards. But that's like the only difference. The completion percentage, super close. The touchdown-interception ratio, super close. Wentz had 16 touchdowns, 14 picks. QBR of 49, which is not good. It's out of 149. He went 7-9. But guess what happened in year two? Boom. Exploded. 13 games started, 3,300 yards, 33 touchdowns, only 7 picks, plus some rushing on top of it. And guess what? Wentz wasn't that accurate in his second year either. That's an example of a guy that wasn't the most accurate quarterback in the league, 60%, making it work. That's what I need to see from Josh Allen. Year two, give me Wentz. 803-0550 is the phone number if you got any reaction to that. UFC. So, I, I teased this before the break. Justin Bieber, I don't I don't get why, why, why this happened. I don't know if I've seen an explanation. He challenges Tom Cruise to a UFC fight. He wants Dana White to put it on. Conor McGregor gets in it. And I'm, I'm wondering to myself, why Tom Cruise... Is it because Justin Bieber just wants to fight in the UFC and he needs a big name and a guy he thinks he can beat? If so, great job. Great job. Tom Cruise is old, 56. Tom Cruise is short, 5'6", 5'7". And 
I don't know if any of you have seen Justin Bieber lately or lately, but he's he's been working out. Like he's he's pretty he's got some muscles on there. So I don't know what he's I don't know what he's shooting at. He's probably just joking, but it just seemed very random. You you never do you ever get that feeling though too? Like you watch something happen and you're like, oh I could do that. I'd like to do that. I get that sometimes. I watch boxing, for instance. I always think to myself, if I would have started young, I think I could have been good at that. I do that with shows, too. Like, way back when, when I used to watch uh, Friday Night Lights, I'd be like, I bet I could coach. I could coach. Stuff like that. And maybe Justin Bieber just picked up on that. He's watching the UFC card last night, which was a great card, and maybe he's thinking to himself, I I could do this. Not maybe on the level these guys are doing it, but I I could do this to some level. So I wonder. That card last night was great. Uh, Tony Ferguson, if you don't know the name, that's a, it's a bad job by the UFC. This guy's on a 14-fight win streak, I think. He is beating guys to a pulp every time he fights them. And he's he's beating guys so bad that the doctors have to step in and stop the fights. Like, repeatedly. Because this guy is just... He's just running through people. And he just can't get a title shot. Part of it is not all in the UFC. I mean, he, I think, turned down a couple of uh, potential title matches. But this guy, if he, if you haven't heard the name yet, like he might end up fighting Conor McGregor. He might end up fighting Khabib. And I, for one, think he might beat both of them. So I think I would pick him to beat McGregor. I don't think I'd pick him to beat Khabib. But I think he's on that level. So this could be like the next UFC superstar. Um that even like casual fans will know. Casual fans, I think, know who McGregor are. I think they know who Khabib are at this point. John Jones. Um, but past that, like, I don't know if they have another superstar in the sport where like people that don't watch the UFC know who they are. I think this could be the next guy, Tony Ferguson. Um, he's not super young, but I think he has the ability uh, to get there. The card was great, though. Even the women's fight was great. Uh, the main event was good. This uh, Henry Cejudo, little guy, flyweight, flyweight. It's just a beast running through people. So that was a good one. Boxing has been good in the past few weeks. I am I'm a believer in this, this current era or this upcoming era of what boxing is. This could be a little bit of a resurgence. The heavyweight division's back. Tyson Fury is fighting on Saturday. He drew Deontay Wilder. Those two are stars. Uh, obviously, the, the insane upset where Anthony Joshua lost last week, has almost made it more intriguing, the division, because now we got this Anthony Ruiz guy that people are interested in, even though he looks like Butterbean, as Stephen A. Smith said, which is not that far off. But the guy is good. And he's 33-1, and one, and you could see he was good. He wasn't just a bum. Um, but like boxing's making a little bit of resurgence, too, just because I think the heavyweight division is interesting. So if you've been kind of away from boxing for a while, and... Uh, it was just Floyd Mayweather and Manny Pacquiao avoiding each other for years and years and years, and that sucked, and the heavyweight division was over in Europe. If you've been away from the sport, I would say check out these top heavyweights that are in it right now, and I think you'll be impressed if you were ever a fan at all. I think you'll be impressed. These guys are good, especially Wilder. Wilder is box office. We'll come back, and i got to get to that point that I forgot to mention on Jeff Skinner when we were talking in hour number one. That'll be on the on the way. Uh, 803-0550 is the phone number if you want to get in on the conversation. It's the Nightcap with Jody Biasi. 15 more minutes left. By the way, 
Game 5 of the NBA Finals will be over on our sister station, ESPN 1520. So if you're looking for that, uh, that'll be over on ESPN 1520. It's the Nightcap with Jody Biasi here on WGR. Last call on the Nightcap. couple things to mention here. Check out my Twitter, at SneakyJoeWGR. It's my pinned tweet. I would really appreciate uh, any help on this. We are uh, we're t- Team WGR skating for the second year in a row at the 11-day power play. Um, one month from today, actually, July 10th at 3 p.m., we'll be skating at Harbor Center. Um, I'm ready to go. I've been running a lot. And I already play hockey a couple times a week, so I'm excited for this. Um, I'm excited to raise money for uh, Roswell again, so you can uh, you can check out how to donate. Uh, go to my Twitter, at SneakyJoeWGR. Other thing that's been uh, mentioned on my Twitter. Uh, just as a joke, you know, I, I tweeted at Nate Geary the, the exact same way that J- Justin Bieber uh, challenged uh, Tom Cruise. I challenged our own WGR's Nate Geary here to a fight in the octagon. Boxing, whatever. We'll see what happens. I think he's going to be running. We'll see what happens, though. So there's that. Um, the uh, the Skinner point that I wanted to get to. It's been a while since I got to that. Or since I uh, we were talking about Skinner. But um, the one thing I did want to mention that I was going to earlier that I failed to is really just how bad it would have looked for Buffalo if he had walked away. Like, we've already had a tough um, offseason in that department, I think, a little bit because of the Antonio Brown uh, situation that kind of put a bad uh, a ba- put Buffalo in a bad light nationally when you've got one of the star receivers in the league uh, reportedly traded to the Bills and then basically shutting it down because he doesn't want to go to Buffalo. That that stunk. That stung a little bit, um, and it would have been a bad look to me too. And it would just would have it would have felt really bad, really poor if the Sabres weren't able to sign Skinner and he had walked away. Because you, you know, if he had tested free agency, part of it, I'm sure, would have been about money, but not all of it. Um, was he going to get that much more money in the open market? I can't imagine there were a lot of teams that would have paid him north of $9 bucks. Like, what would have happened if he went to free agency and suddenly the Sabres don't have that eighth year and he signs a seven-year $9 million contract with, I don't know, Arizona, who seems to be a player all of a sudden free agency uh that's at least what people are reporting um the rangers like anyone pittsburgh wherever he would have went like that would have stung a little bit and it was stung a lot and i'm glad that didn't happen i'm glad we don't have to continue to have the conversation and repeatedly add to the list of athletes that either don't want to come to buffalo or don't want to stay in buffalo chris drury um that's always the one that comes to my mind antonio brown uh you know, you know the list. There's a bunch of them. Sean Merriman, for some reason, always comes to my mind because like that happened originally, but then he did come after. Um, but you know the list. Anyways, that's going to do it for me tonight. I would uh, implore you to watch the NBA Finals. I-, I think, man, if you watch this video that's going around social media right now of Durant and warmups, he's like jumping and spinning and dunking, and he looks fine. Warriors and seven. I'm calling it right here, right now. From one 14-second video of Kevin Durant and warm-ups, I'm changing my prediction to Warriors in seven. He looks healthy when he's healthy, and Steph's healthy, and Clay's banged up, but he looked fine last game. I think they're virtually unbeatable. So 
I'm rooting for the Raptors. I'm rooting for the Raptors hard, but, oh, man, he looks good out there. He looks good. He looks fresh. Quickly, too. I got a minute left. It has me wondering about timing. If he looks this good right now, you really telling me he couldn't have played in this series or in the last month? I mean, Klay Thompson is running out there with, like, a strained hamstring. He missed one game, and even then he didn't want to He didn't want to miss that game. So I, I really think that uh, the way Durant looks right now, it's a little strange. I'm not calling him. I'm not calling him out on anything. I'm not saying anything, speculating anything. But I'm just wondering. Maybe he was uh, waiting for the perfect time. This is, would be if if he was going to do that. This would be the perfect time. You wait for the Warriors to get down in the series. You wait for everyone to stop talking about how the Warriors are better without you after they swept Portland. You wait for him to get down 3-1. So that, by the way, the Warriors, everyone can stop joking about them blowing a 3-1 lead because now they would have come back from a 3-1 lead. And you be the hero. You destroy the narrative forever that the Warriors don't need you and that you are just a just a front runner. He still is a front runner, but you would basically destroy that argument. So maybe that's what's happening here. Probably not. All right, thanks, everybody, for listening. Catch the whole show on demand at WGR550.com. I'll be back with you for a full show tomorrow uh, before a brief one on Wednesday. It's the Nightcap with Jody Biasi here on WGR. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening.